0: This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm.
1: Hi, this is Robert Duncan McNeil, also known as Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager. You're listening to Trek FM. Thank you.
0: Hello, and welcome to the fourth season premiere of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike, and uh, Max is not with us today. Uh, We're still trying to work out uh, some contract negotiations with him, so he's still Borgified over there with uh, Locutus. So in the meantime, we're joined by Charlene of To The Journey. How's it going? To The Journey! To The Journey! How's it going, Charlene? (laughs)
1: It's good. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, thanks for for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. So, we're going to be talking about a Voyager episode today, which is uh, kind of a first for us. So we thought it would be good to have have you on, since Voyager is your favorite show, right?
1: Yes, indeed it is. It's the one and only Trek show that I watched as it aired from start to finish. So, therefore, it kind of has that endearing quality to me.
0: Yeah, I I, I definitely... uh, know what you mean um th- that's kind of how I feel with the uh, next gen even though I only caught the tail end of it but
1: see I don't count that because I really didn't start watching it as it aired uh, live you know because back then that was important <laughs> now right. it's not so much but back then I really didn't get on board until about season five so I was really late to the game but I was 10 so that's my excuse
0: yeah now we're starting up a new series today, and we're we're doing uh, my, my personal favorite Trek creator, Larry Nemechek. Larry, of course, has done a lot of stuff in, in terms of uh, Star Trek history and Star Trek fandom, but he also did an episode of Star Trek itself, and that's uh, Prophecy, which was the 14th episode of Season 7 of Voyager. Uh, but before we get into that, let's talk about Larry and and uh, and what our thoughts are on on him in general now do you remember him as a fan before you were a podcaster
1: I do in fact uh, I remember his name if nothing else and maybe his mug because I was a subscriber a very loyal subscriber to Star Trek Communicators, so I knew who he was but I certainly didn't know him as we do today he was just kind of this guy who wrote things for Star Trek. I didn't really know the the guy himself at that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I was also a very loyal uh, subscriber to, to the Star Trek communicator. And uh, I, I loved that magazine so much. Um, Me too. <laughs> I, I wish it still existed. Um,
1: Me too. <laughs> they need to bring it back.
0: Yeah, they do for sure. And and probably even more so, uh, the Star Trek Next Generation companion for me was, like, mm-hmm. like I, I've said this before, but I think I've spent more time reading that book than any other book in my life. I uh, <laughs> used to keep a copy of it at work on the shelf, just, just in case, because you never know when you might need it. And it was... Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. So, before I had started uh, doing Star Trek podcasts, but I, I knew Colin... And Colin, you know, just sort of offhandedly at one point was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have Larry Nemechek on, on my show on Trek News and Views. And I'm like, what? What? Because, <laughs> I mean, I kind of like, you know, idolize Larry in a sense. And I'm just like, how did you mm. get him? How, how could you possibly get someone <laughs> as cool as Larry on your show? And uh, then, then we've had him on this show. That's That's been awesome.
1: Right. Yeah, Larry has become a fast friend of Trek FM for some time now. We all know him. We've had him on several shows throughout the network, and now we know him as a very, very cool guy, very rich knowledge of Trek history, obviously, but also just a fun guy to be around.
0: Yeah, and um, I feel kind of bad because we've had him on so many times talking about everyone else's stuff. But we never really talk about his stuff. Now, I know there was an episode of, of The Ready Room where where they talk about Prophecy. And then we've also had him on our other show, Commentary Track Star Babies, talking. We did a commentary for Prophecy with us. But for the most part, we're talking about all the other stuff because he knows so much about all the other stuff. But we thought it was time to uh, finally tackle him himself. Good idea. So that's what we're doing. And we're starting off with uh, with his work inside of Trek, Prophecy. Now, this is an episode which uh, he co-wrote the story for with his wife, Janet. Um, back in season one, they sold their, their story idea for, for Klingons in the Delta Quadrant. And it wasn't actually produced until the final season of Voyager, episode 14, I believe. Mm-hmm. The story was adapted by, uh, at that point, the showrunner Ken Biller and uh, Raph Green. And then the screenplay was written by uh, Mike Sussman and Phyllis Strong. Uh, And it's an episode about Klingons in the Delta Quadrant, old school Klingons, like Kirk-era Klingons. And they have a problem with a virus of some sort. Which essentially kills them prematurely. They've been living on this ship for what, hundreds of years at this point?
1: I think they said four generations.
0: Okay. So maybe yeah, maybe a hundred. Yeah, probably
1: Probably. A, a yeah. good substantial amount of time, definitely.
0: Yeah. And they, they need a they need a home or something. And and they see the the Voyager and they think that Torres's baby is their saviour. Right. And then it kind of goes from there. So what did you think about this episode? Now, you, you said you, you watched all of Voyager when it aired. I, I had not seen this until the DVDs came out. But what what did you think about this when it first came out?
1: I've always liked this one. And it didn't occur to me until very recently when we started to get to know Larry that, oh, yeah, he kind of wrote this thing. Or at least he had the story idea and never made that connection like, oh, wow, that's really cool. But the story itself, I've always enjoyed it because, for one thing, old school Klingons. uh, If you just say that idea aloud, it sounds like such a gimmick. Like, oh, you're going to put Klingons on Voyager? Really? (laughs) But you know what? This was the way to do it and make it happen. Because when you see it on screen, the way they have these guys who've been out there for, like you said, maybe 100 years or so, let's just go with that. And they're on this quest to find their savior, essentially. It makes sense. And so you've got the retro-look Klingons, and they don't even realize that there's a peace treaty with the Federation. I mean, this is fun. This is a lot of fun. And this is actually the one episode where I enjoy Neelix when he's being annoying.
0: (laughs) Well, in in what way?
1: Well, okay, first off, you have him rooming with Tuvok Mm -hmm. and Tuvok his disdain just bleeds through the screen I mean you really do feel that that's a lot of fun but then also uh, he gets a little something something with the Klingon ladies (laughs) guys kind of got a thing for Klingons which I think is fantastic because one of my favorite two-parters is the killing game where he gets drunk with the Klingons and they lead a raid through the city to get the erosion And and it's fun
0: so he's just for whatever reason the Klingons and Neelix they just hit it off
1: Well, they're both so over-the-top, in a way. And I feel like Neelix actually is a little over-the-top in this episode, but it works for the entertainment factor, so I forgive it. Mm -hmm. Because he'd actually toned down somewhat by the time they get to Season 7. This is a little more of first-season Neelix, where he's really flamboyant and in-your-face and... (laughs) You know? (laughs) Just all over the place and, and loud and proud of it. But... That said, I still love it just because it's so much fun to watch. This forty-five minutes goes by really fast. What did you think of it?
0: Um, you know, I, I like this episode. Uh, I, I any time that they bring in someone from the the Alpha Quadrant on the Voyager, I'm always very skeptical because you know, at some point, you know, it seems like it may be pushing it just a bit too much. And you know, in, in hearing Larry talk, like that's that's one of the reasons why they didn't get around to doing this until Season 7 is because, you know, they had had so many similar stories, whether they be Klingon stories or uh, Alpha Quadrant alien stories, that they didn't really want to um, push their luck too much. Uh, But looking at this on on its own, I mean, I I think that they came up with a good reason for them to, to be in the Delta Quadrant. And I I think that uh, the episode on the whole is is pretty cool how it sort of deals with that uh, that sort of Klingon mythology thing and and how they're they're really big into their I don't know if you'd call it necessarily a religion but in their their history and in their mythology and how mm-hmm. um, Torres is really kind of always fighting against that and it shows I think some growth on her por- her part in terms of becoming accepting of her of her Klingon heritage.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, this is certainly not the first time we've seen that happen, but it's always good to kind of see her reluctantly have to face this. And mm-hmm. especially concerning her baby. For one thing, that's continuity. People who say there's not continuity on Voyager, look at this. And they actually managed to do it with a story that was bought in season one and put it into season seven and made it happen. So <laughs> that's yeah. pretty cool. But then yeah, there's definitely this level, a new level of alarm for Bellana. Like, what are they going to do to my daughter? This is kind of scary. I kind of want them to get the heck away from me. And then she does have to face it. It is good growth for her. Yes, definitely.
0: It would be interesting to see how it would have been different had it been in season one. Because I imagine that her mm, yeah. her character arc would not have been Anywhere near us. I mean, obviously she wouldn't have been pregnant, you know, but, uh, sure. but I mean, just in terms of, uh, obviously there would be a lot of, uh, you know, Klingon slash Belana interaction, you know, that would probably be the heart of the story. And, uh, mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to see how they, how they would have, uh, done that differently so early on in the show.
1: Yeah, I'm actually really glad that they didn't do this in season one, primarily because they did Faces, where they split Bilana up into a fully human and fully Klingon uh, two beings, basically, uh, which is a fantastic episode that really gets into her background. Had they done something like this instead, I just don't think it would have had that level of depth, and we wouldn't appreciate this story as much, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, and, and I think, you know, Faces, if, if I'm not mistaken, Larry said that that that's episode in particular was one of the reasons why they didn't want to produce this episode right away. And then mm-hmm. season two, season three, there's so many other things which are similar in one way or another to this story that it just took them forever to get to it. The one thing which I, I kind of am disappointed that, that that's not there anymore is um one of the the ideas that Larry says that he pitched when he was pitching this idea was that it, if it were back in season one, you know there you could kind of like plant the seeds of maybe this ship leaving Klingons on various planets along the way, so as you're traveling back oh. to the alpha quadrant, you might run into. A, uh, a colony with Klingons where he was saying, you know, they could do anything with it. You know, they could have uh, Klingons, uh, you know, enslaving a, a race of, of natives or you could have natives enslaving a race of Klingons or, you know, whatever, you know, so, something like that. But just mm-hmm. the idea that you could get back to um, that, that Alpha Quadrant race in, in a plausible way. Because everybody loves the Klingons; they're always trying to find ways to to put Klingons in Star Trek, right? Now, now, what did you think about the uh, the virus, the Naret? This idea of um, a, a virus which which will kill you, but essentially not until you're you know old anyway. Maybe not super old for a Klingon, but you know middle age for a Klingon. But just this this yeah. ticking time bomb there.
1: Kind of like a sudden onset of Klingon Alzheimer's or something like that. Yeah. Just really quick and swift, and you go out with your honor, I guess. I don't know. That's the part of the story that I feel is just kind of conveniently there to keep the plot moving, yeah. and that's just about it.
0: One of the things that Larry uh, talked to us about when, when he did the commentary is that there was... A, the very first scene of the episode was cut where basically it started on the Klingon ship with the Klingon captain dying and then this new guy taking over.
1: Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yes.
0: Yeah. And that that's interesting. I think that would have kind of helped things a little bit because it wouldn't have just come out of nowhere. And then it would also kind of show... Uh, why this this klingon captain is so desperate to you know give his people hope you know give his people hope. right
1: yeah i totally agree plus it would also kind of show that this guy is a little bit of a reluctant leader because he doesn't really believe in their quest anymore he admits as much mm-hmm. and so he kind of just got pushed into this whole thing if we would have seen the quote unquote original Klingon, Captain, die. I think that would have added a lot more depth to the story, actually. I wish they would have kept it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess doing it this way, we do see it from Voyager's perspective more. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that that would be a sacrifice to make in order to, to get that extra element there. Agreed. Okay, now, in this, they they, you know, the whole idea is that that there's this Klingon legend, or at least this seems like kind of like an offshoot of normal Klingon mythology, right? Like these Klingons don't believe what all of the the mainstream Klingons believe. And uh, they think that there's going to be a a Klingon savior, which they're going to come across eventually. And this guy is able to piece together the prophecies in, in such a way to make it seem like Alana's baby is the savior what what did you think about that storyline
1: I thought it was a great way to tie into things that were happening you know the pregnancy it was happening regardless of the story but it was a nice tie-in what's even better though and I don't know if you read the novels at all but they kind of continue this thread in the novels and keep it going
0: really and I don't know
1: if you want me to give anything away or not
0: sure yeah So, so this is like after they get back to earth
1: Yeah, well, okay, in the novelverse, slipstream technology has advanced, and they are able to go back and forth now to the Delta Quadrant Mm -hmm. a lot more uh, effortlessly than they used to. And so they're actually returning to the Delta Quadrant here and there. Now the thing is, is it's still a little fickle. If they lose that drive, they're stranded out there again, of course. But so far that hasn't happened yet. (laughs) But this this is Voyager that's doing
0: this? So so Voyager keeps on going back to the Delta Quadrant.
1: There's actually a fleet of ships, Voyager's among them. It's not just them out there alone. But, um, yeah, what happens is Miral gets kidnapped by these people who believe that she is their savior. And uh, I'll leave the rest up to you guys to read it and find out what happens next. That's all I'm going to give away.
0: Is this like a continuing storyline, or is this like one novel, or or what?
1: This is primarily in one novel. It's full circle. It came out a few years ago, and I highly recommend it just for uh, this story alone, but there's a lot more to it than that. And even if you haven't read any of the other novels, I think you can still dive into this one, and you'll be fine. You're going to figure some things out along the way, but you're going to be okay, because that's kind of what I did. Uh maybe about four years ago now I had kind of taken a break from the novels had not read anything published maybe after the year 2001 something like that read this and was able to put the pieces together just fine and then I've since gone back read everything that I missed and then anything going forward go ahead and do it Kirsten Beyer is a fantastic author by the way uh, Matthew Rushing likes to say on literary treks, even though he doesn't like Voyager, he likes the Voyager novels. So if that's you, give the Voyager novels a try. You might be very impressed.
0: So so this is like part of their... I, I mean, how many books have they done in their quote-unquote season eight kind of thing? Like,
1: I don't know if I would really call it that. It's kind of gone in two phases. It's like Pre-Kirsten Bayer, post-Kirsten Bayer. So
0: she's like, um, she does like all of them now? Like she's like the, she Voyager, is. the Voyager person?
1: Right now she is the Voyager queen and she oh, is awesome. Cool. I really like her. Yeah, she has a very good handle on Voyager as a series with the characters and where she's taking it big picture wise. I mean, it's very good stuff. They are superbly organized these days, these writers. And she's just one of the collection of the people writing that are just fantastic. But anyway, uh, before, Christ- or before Kirsten Beyer, I think Christy Golden wrote a lot of the books, and I would say they were very good for their time, but what they're doing now is definitely a level up. Okay. It is just much more complex, it is a little more ongoing, and she just really knows how to write these characters. She knows them inside and out.
0: Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like that. I, I have to check. It's it's so daunting, you know, since there are so many of them, you know, and and the idea of just kind yeah. of jumping in, I don't know, I don't know how how I can do that. But I, well, you know, when hearing things like that, I really wish that I could. One day, one day.
1: <laughs> well, if you ever feel like going in feet first, I think this is the book to do it with. At least as far as Voyager's concerned. The other series, I don't know. you better ask Matt Rushing. Okay. <laughs> he's the expert
0: this is something that we asked uh, Larry when we were talking to him about the episode and I'm going to ask you this too um, do you think because they leave it kind of open-ended do you think that Belana's kid actually is the savior
1: <laughs> <laughs> great question my answer is no
0: okay that was his answer too
1: yeah, they they just kind of made it up. It was a very convenient opportunity, and that's all, but that's okay. That's yeah. good.
0: And, and I think that's pretty much what, what they think as well, although there is that, that line at the end where they're like, oh, should should we name her, and I forget what the name is, should we name her that? And and she says, put it on the list, you know, which I thought yeah. was kind of a cool moment. And I forget, they they didn't name her that, did they?
1: No, I don't remember the name. It's like a three-syllable name. Mm-hmm. Ah uh, shoot, I can't recall it right now. But no, they did not go with that. It wasn't Miral. Miral was Bellana's mother.
0: Ah, okay, all right. That's well, that where they get sense.
1: that from. Yeah.
0: We we should just note because uh, Larry actually uh, mentioned this to me. So so just just so that everyone's clear, even though this is Larry's episode, it it is just sort of a a, a kernel of an idea of of. Larry's original concept, you know, this, this doesn't, I mean, and and I, I get the impression that, that Larry thinks it's okay, but really it's not like he's, you know, he, he wouldn't exactly take uh, credit for, for what ended up on screen. But uh, it, it was, like I said before, it was co-written. Well, the, the, the pitch was, was by him and his wife, Janet, who I believe was a, a script supervisor on Voyager at the time. And, yeah. and then um, once Ken Biller, who was on staff, even way back in season one, uh, once he started running the show, he pulled it out, pulled the files out or, or whatever, and um, adapted that pitch along with Raf Green before handing it off to uh, Sussman and Strong to actually write the script. So, you know... Not not much similarity between the original concept and the finished product, um, but one yeah. of one of the things which which I did think was interesting, and it sounds like this is something that uh, Janet was sort of really big on back in the day. Was uh, there there was originally going to be a maquis element to this all as well? Oh, okay. Um, and she seems to think that that was kind of a really big missed opportunity on the point uh, on the part of Voyager. Um, do you, I mean, obviously, since since it's in season seven, you know, these things are completely changed. And, and obviously there wouldn't be that, you know, at this point in the show. But do you think that would have been cool? A cool idea? Do you, do you, did you like the Maquis storyline? Because, I mean, it was there and then it was gone. and the...
1: <laughs> Oh, man. The thing is, they zapped it so fast. We never really got a full taste of it. And so I would have actually loved to have seen a lot more of it. I feel like they missed so many good opportunities to show this crew starting to work together, showing them struggling, making sure that it's not exactly a smooth transition. I mean, they did one episode, really, where they confronted this, and that was Learning Curve at the very end of season one. And by then, I mean, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that wasn't even that good of an episode. I mean, really, after Parallax, even Chakotay is quite... He's actually pretty toned down, just even after B'Elanna becomes chief engineer. It's like, that makes him happy, and then he settles down. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's pretty smooth sailing, and we forget almost entirely about the fact that half this crew, roughly, is Maquis. Yeah. So yes, they should have done a lot more with it, Absolutely.
0: Okay, I'm 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 glad to hear that from a Voyager fan. I have to say, because that was the big thing <laughs> to me. Like when I first heard about about Voyager and and the Maquis thing, I was like, "This is going to be the best Star Trek show ever." I cannot wait to see what they do with this. And then, right th- that thing yeah. that that intrigued me the most about it was just gone. It was very disappointing. It oh. was
1: yeah. Let, let's face it, that was just something they really should have done more with, and they just dropped the ball on it. As much as I love Voyager, I have to be honest <laughs> about yeah. it too. I mean, it there's definitely some failings in this show. Let's be let's be upfront about that. Let's not sugarcoat anything.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, any final thoughts on Prophecy?
1: I think overall, regardless of how the story might have ended up as opposed to there is original idea, at least there were core elements I'm sure that got into this story and for that He had my dream job, and (laughs) I'm dead serious, too. That is what I wanted to do with my life. I had this grandiose dream that after I graduated high school, I was going to stake it out in L.A. and write for the very end of Voyager at the ripe old age of 19. Just because Lisa Klink did it, I thought, if she could do it, I could do it, right? Oh, such false inspiration. I loved it. That was ultimately what I wanted to do, is I wanted to write Voyager, and so... For that, Larry got to do something that I've always wanted to do. So that's pretty darn cool. Just to even get an idea on screen, that's magic.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, he he downplays it, obviously, but he shouldn't. Because, I mean, no. l- look at all of the people who have written for Star Trek. You know, I mean, and there there are hundreds, but those names are, like, legendary. And to be in that company is just insane, you know? It's right. The- that's, that's super cool. Not to mention that it, it, it was a really cool idea, you know, and it, it
1: was, yeah, it, it, it was a great way to make this happen.
0: And, and as sort of like an, the ultimate fan in a lot of ways, it was a very sort of fan idea, you know, the idea of bringing in these TOS Klingons and, and everything like that. Like when we were talking to him, he was talking about how upset he was that the, uh, the ship that they used the klingon ship that they used was a katinga class ship instead of a d7. And d7 i'm like i don't even know what that <laughs> means but okay you know i agree larry you're you're right so i mean that that's super cool it's a cool episode i have to say it is and the other great thing about uh, larry having uh, having a hand in an episode of of star trek is it means we get to talk about his other stuff on this show and his other stuff is great. The Star Trek: The Next Generation Companion is one of my favorite books, and really kind of uh, the first time that I sort of had the idea that there are people making these shows. You know, they're not just things mm-hmm. which are happening. They're not documentaries, and you know, in the twenty fourth century or whatever. And <laughs> and then uh, you know, Stellar Cartography, his no- new book, is you know beautiful. So, oh yeah. So we're going to be talking about those two books in the next uh, couple of weeks. Next week we're going to have uh, some of the Earl Grey guys, maybe all of the Earl Grey guys, on to talk about the Companion. And then after that, we're going to be talking about Stellar Cartography. And uh, then for our wrap up, we're going to have uh, Larry himself on here to uh, to talk about the two books. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that.
1: That should be fun. Yeah.
0: So, Charlene, you, you, you're on uh, To the Journey right here on Trek. To the Journey! FM. To the Journey. And, uh, you know, you're on the Ready Room a whole bunch and all that stuff. Uh, and that, those are just a, a couple of the shows that you can find here on Trek FM. So, uh, here's a taste of what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Star Trek 2009, 5th Anniversary. So, I wrote a whole big thing about. All that stuff. Where's Gary Mitchell? Why are there Romulans? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and why is Tyler Perry in this movie? Earl Grey.
1: Ferengi.
0: Uh, can I have a root beer, please? <laughs> They're all examples of Ferengi. Dad. Not being Ferengi so... Sorry, that was a terrible, terrible knock. Earl Grey, now with 90% more Ferengi impersonations. <laughs> the Orb. Great O'Brien episodes. You know, obviously, too, I, I love the fact that, that Miles is not afraid to kind of bend the rules and, and do what he thinks is right. The Ready Room. The sound of her voice. It's a masterful portrayal of the
1: working class hero kind of thing that O'Brien is without making me feel, you know, uh, guilty and, and without coming across as too heavy handed.
0: To the journey! darkling rewrite it's that awkward moment when you accidentally call your teacher mom in class
1: i hate to tell you but i don't know if i ever did that
0: yeah no i neither. Mean neither. <laughs> <What?
1: laughs> sorry dude warp five Walks.
0: and you see that i think in, in the way that he cares for his patients and he takes care of them with what we would consider very strange remedies and yet He's taking care of the whole person, and I really, really like that. Commentary, Trek Stars. The Mount Rushmore of Trek. No, I mean, in all seriousness, like, Chris, every time that you make a joke about Robin Leffler, I myself think, yes, he's right. Oh, wait, he's making a joke. Oh, that's too bad. Because he's right. Continuing Mission. Star Trek Horizon. The main reason I wanted to do the movie was to close out storylines that Enterprise didn't get a chance to. It, I felt like it was kind of my contribution to the show that meant a lot to me. Literary Treks. Mission Gamma Twilight. I don't think that Bashir knows how to be in a mature relationship. When Ezri starts exerting her own identity more, he doesn't know how to deal with that. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on all the daily Trek talk. We have new shows for you every day, and you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom, or you can stream and download files from the website. Just visit Trek.fm slash PD for podcast directory to get all the links. Or you can go to itunes.com slash Trek FM to see our cool artist page and, and get all the shows over there it's pretty yeah now we were talking about the uh i guess post-series novels but you've you've read some of the other novels as well right and oh yeah have you read all the other novels
1: oh up to a certain point but i honestly can't tell you when i stopped yeah
0: well, back in the 90s, they had so many coming out, it's kind of hard to, to keep track of all of them. But one of the things which I thought was cool about the Voyager yeah. novels, from really from the beginning, was that um, uh, a few of them were written by Jerry Taylor, who, of course, had a hand in creating the show. She was one of the three creators. And uh, that, to me, was really cool because it was like, that's, I mean, how more definitive of a stamp can you get that, like, this is actually you know, <laughs> canon, for, for for lack of a better word. And uh, we've, exactly. we've got one of those right here on Audible, Mosaic, which, if I'm not mistaken, that's kind of like the history of Janeway, right?
1: It is. It is the book on Janeway written by Jerry Taylor. As you said, it is about as much of an authoritative novel on her that you can possibly get. And a lot of the things that you read in that novel get incorporated into the show later on. So... It is canon. I consider it canon, b- it, because Jerry Taylor made it that way. <laughs> right. You know, she wrote it. She wrote the show, so the two intertwined. Yeah, this one's all about Janeway, and she wrote another one called Pathways, which is the backstory on the other main crew members. And you can get both of them on Audible, but Mosaic is narrated by Kate Mulgrew, Janeway herself. And uh, it's fantastic. I highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, it says here, Mosaic is the incredible life story of Captain Catherine Janeway, commander of the Starship Starship Voyager, read by Kate Mulgrew herself, and enhanced with sound effects and an original score. And you can get it for free on Audible since you listen to Trek.fm. Uh, Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source of audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, Audible has something for everyone – As a Trek.fm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read or that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trek.fm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trek.fm and we thank you and Audible for supporting commentary, Trek stars, and trek.fm. All right. Well, thanks a lot for, for filling in for, for Max today, Charlene. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, where no can, problem. Where, where else can people find you uh, here on Trek FM and on the internet at, at large?
1: Well, as you mentioned, I am on To The Journey every week talking Voyager on Thursdays with my co-host Tristan Riddell. And occasionally, I'm also on the ready room. About oh, every five or six weeks, we do the rotation through all of a series, and you can find me there whenever a Voyager episode comes around. And I believe this week, uh, a Voyager episode is coming out, so check that out. We discuss the third season episode Coda. Cool. But then elsewhere, um, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is oh the profanity, and yes, it does contain profanity sometimes, especially <laughs> with hockey season. The playoffs are on now. My team lost, though, so maybe that'll die down a little bit. Uh, Whereas the Blackhawks are still in it.
0: They're still going. They need to
1: beat the Wild because the Wild beat my abs. (laughs) 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 So you can find me there, and uh, that's about it. That's the best way to get a hold of me.
0: Yeah, and uh, this Sunday we, we we are going to be releasing... Our sort of brainstorming session where we figure out uh, how to torture you and and Matt Hansen from the Delta Quadrant while watching uh, Cat's Paw. So after that, you can find uh, Charlene with Matt getting drunk to the original series classic Halloween episode written by Robert Block, the writer of Psycho. So you'd think it would be better, (laughs) but it's not.
1: Yeah, but no, but we're going to get extraordinarily (laughs) drunk and we're going to love it.
0: Awesome! Can't wait. So you can find that over on CommentaryTrackStars.com dot com.
1: Yeah. Thanks again, as always, for having us do that because it is a blast to do that every well, three or four months that we we do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's great. And 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 you know you know it gets rowdy because both of you are on Star Trek networks and this is a Star Trek show and yet neither of you are willing to put it in your own feed. So. <laughs>
1: that's that's entirely beside the point buddy (laughs) i think i don't remember exactly why we started this on your feed but it's sort of a tradition now we can't break it
0: yeah and until
1: we do trek fm after dark it i mean really this is its home
0: all right sounds good sounds good i'm okay with that And commentarytrackstars.com is where you can find me and my show, Commentary Trackstars Off Topic, which I do with Max and my friend Brandon. And you can also find me here on Trek.fm doing Standard Orbit with Drew, where we talk about the original series. And you can find us on Twitter at comtrackstars or email us at comtrackstars at gmail.com. So that's about it for Prophecy. We will be back next week for the second part of our Larry Nemachek series where we talk to the Earl Grey guys about the Star Trek and the Next Generation Companion.
1: To the Earl Grey! To
0: the Earl Wait. Grey! <laughs>